podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Wednesday, the 17th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. It's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, access whatever it is you're geoblocked from. For example, if you're an Irish expat wanting to watch a bit of RTE player or Virgin Media, a Liberty Shield VPN will allow you to do that. For the US expats, Hulu, Peacock, HBO Go, whatever it is you want to watch, you can do with a Liberty Shield VPN. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D, to get 50% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Just download that Etsy app onto your phone and get cracking. Right, folks, more World Cup qualifiers last night. So more World Cup qualifiers to have a little chat about. Um, Should we be excited about this World Cup? Probably not. Qatar isn't a place deserving of a World Cup. The... Issues surrounding this World Cup are just, they're vast. Miguel Delaney, to his credit, uh, has done a very good job at reporting on some of the problems, on some of the scandals. We've seen certain teams take a stand uh, against this World Cup. Norway, obviously, were the first to do it. We've seen England players in recent weeks say they'll have a think and come up with something what that means, I, I don't really know. But it is looking like there's going to be a little bit more blowback on this World Cup in the year between now and when that World Cup is, is due to commence. Uh, but last night we did have World Cup qualifiers. So Group E was the first one in action. And we had the Czech Republic 2. Estonia nil, Brabic and Zakora with the goals. Wales won, Belgium won. Great draw for the Welsh. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne put Belgium 1-0 up. Kiefer Moore with the equaliser. Uh, good result for the Welsh. Secures them in second place. And means that they will go into the playoffs. The Czech Republic also advancing to the playoffs via the Nations League. And Belgium group. Group winners through to the World Cup. So congrats to our friends from Belgium. Congrats to the Welsh. Great achievement. Not the easiest group. You know, some difficult trips away to Estonia and Belarus. Teams that obviously they should beat, but just difficult places to go and play. In Group G, 
the Netherlands are through as group winners and Turkey are the runners-up. They will advance to the playoffs. Norway will miss out on this World Cup, which is is disappointing. It is disappointing. They were in a decent enough position up until the Haaland injury and a couple of untimely draws away to the Turks and at home to Latvia really did cost them their place. Last night, Latvia beat uh, Gibraltar 3-1. Walker scored for Gibraltar. Gutkowskis, Uldruskis and Krollis with the goals for Latvia. Uh, Turkey beat Montenegro 2-1. Atrakoglu and Koku with the goals. Bezaraj with the goal for Montenegro. And then the Dutch, who should have secured their qualification in their first game of this international break, but threw away a 2-0 lead, scored late to get the 2-0 win over Norway in this one. Stephen Bergvine of Tottenham and Memphis Depay of Barcelona with the goals. Memphis ending the qualification stage with 12 goals, which is very, very impressive. Credit to him. Um, he has had himself a hell of a a hell of a run. Top scorer along with Harry Kane um, in the in the qualification. Also with, got six assists. So probably the the best player from the European portion of qualification. Now, if we take a quick look around at who is qualified and where we're looking right now, Serbia are through. So I think that alone is a bit of a surprise because I don't think anyone expected them to top that group over Portugal. But they're through. Spain are through. Switzerland are through. Again, a bit of a shock. uh, Overhauling Italy to qualify. France are through. Belgium are through. Denmark are through. They were one of the, the best teams, if not the best team through qualifying. The Netherlands are through. That's a big one. Um, Croatia are through. England are through. And Germany are through. So they're all the European teams that have qualified thus far. Qatar obviously qualify as the host nation. This will be their first ever World Cup. And with respect, it was likely the only way they were going to get into a World Cup anytime soon. Um, Brazil qualified after the first game of this international break, and then Argentina qualified last night with a nil-nil draw against Brazil, cracking game of football. But that is who we have so far. It's looking like a pretty strong field. Now, there obviously will be some weaker teams coming into the competition. We know that in Europe, for example, we are going to have the The playoffs. So the teams in the playoffs, you've got Portugal, Scotland, Italy, Russia, Sweden and Wales. They're the seeded teams. The unseeded teams are Turkey, Poland, Macedonia, sorry, North Macedonia, Ukraine, Austria and the Czech Republic. So a seeded team will play an unseeded team in each of the six semifinals. And then those teams will move through into finals. So we could could well end up with Portugal versus Italy in a final for a spot 
at the World Cup. That could be fun. We could end up with Scotland versus Wales for a spot at the World Cup. Again, that could be fun. There's definitely a couple of the unseeded teams, Turkey, Poland, Ukraine, and I think Austria, who could cause an upset. Czech Republic as well. North Macedonia, probably the weakest team on that side. Um, and you'd have to give respect to all of the seeded teams, though, I mean, Scotland, maybe Russia, probably the weakest teams in the in the seeded group. Uh, I would say Wales slightly above both of those, especially if Bale and Ramsey are playing because, you know, they only really play for the international team. They don't really bother with club football anymore. Um, but that's looking good for a bit of entertainment in the back half of next season when the internationals come back. I think um, we'll certainly see some good games there. In South America, Brazil are through, Argentina are through. Now, they get two more guaranteed spots. Right now, Ecuador look great value to take one of them. They're currently six points ahead of Colombia, who are level in points of Peru. And then you get Chile, Uruguay, and Bolivia all in that next mix. Two will qualify automatically. It would be a massive, massive surprise if Uruguay aren't one of them, even though they currently sit seventh. They are only one point out of fourth. It would be a big surprise if they don't get through. And a bit of a shame as well if Suarez and Cavani and maybe Godin and who a couple of others don't get that send-off at the World Cup. But Ecuador look good value to take one spot at the minute. They will also get a playoff spot. So they will have four teams in and one team in the playoff. North America, well, North Central and, and the Caribbean, they get three guaranteed and one into a playoff. Asia get four in, one into a playoff. And then Oceania get one into a playoff, no automatic spot there. Um, largely because the Aussies decided to bin it off and go play in, in Asia. But anyway, we'll move through to the Asian qualification which this time doesn't include the Aussies, but you've got Iran, South Korea, topping Group A, the United Arab Emirates, Lebanon, Iraq, and Syria making up the numbers there. Oh, Australia are in, are in Asia. Sorry, they are. Uh, in Group B, you've got Saudi Arabia, Japan, Australia in the playoff spot right now, Oman, China, and Vietnam not looking particularly good. So I Iran... South Korea and Saudi Arabia look like really strong bets to get there. Japan looked the best placed team to become the fourth automatic qualifier. Now, what will then happen is you'll get, a, you, as things currently stand, you'd get Australia versus the United Arab Emirates. And then the winner of that would then go and play, I would assume, the team from Oceania. I assume that's how they'll do it. North America will play South America and Asia would play Oceania. Geographically, it's what would make the most sense. So you could well get Australia versus New Zealand for a spot in the World Cup, which could be fun. Could be fun. But like I say, right now, Iran and South Korea looking like almost certain to qualify from Group A. Saudi Arabia looking good value in Group B. And then Japan and Australia battling it out for second spot. 
In Africa, it's a pretty strong setup right now. They have five spots that they will um, they will have to fill for this World Cup. Now, their format is that the first round was 28 teams ranked 57 to sorry 27 to 54 playing home and away legs over two legs the 14 winners advanced to the second round the second round was 40 teams those ranked 1 to 26 and the 14 first round qualifiers being divided into 10 groups of four teams to play home and away round robin games and the 10 group winners advancing to the third round where it will just be a straight home and away um, home and away competition. So as things currently stand, we are set with the third round teams. So you've got Algeria, Cameroon, Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt, Ghana, Mali, Morocco, Nigeria, Senegal, and Tunisia. They are the teams currently in the in the draw. The draw hasn't been made yet, so we'll we'll wait and see, but we will get five of that ten team group through to the World Cup. There is some really strong teams there. Ghana, lots of good talent. Mali the same. Senegal obviously some top class players. I think you'd want to see Egypt there for Salah. Nigeria very good. Algeria have a strong team. I think you'd want to see Riyad Mahrez at a World Cup. Morocco have a strong team. It, African football is really on the rise. And I like their qualification setup. I think it's more interesting than the European setup. Now, I know there's you know, different numbers of, of teams in each, um, each continental breakdown. But I, I do really like the African setup. I quite like the South American setup where they're all in the one the one group and they all play each other twice, but at the same time there's far less countries in South America, so it works it works better for them. Um but yeah, I do really like the African setup, I have to say. I think it's I think it's one of the more inventive of the whole thing, which is uh which is credit to them, you know. Some some you feel like some organizations don't really put much thought into their qualifying thing because they do the same thing over and over again and you end up with really convoluted um, paths that teams have to take. So in Oceania, qualifying was expected to begin in September 2020, but the FIFA international window in that month was postponed due to covid in July of 2020, the OFC, the Oceania Football Confederation, submitted a proposal for the qualifiers in response to the pandemic, intending to organise a group stage between March and June 2021, followed by semi-finals and a final in September and October of this year. But it was felt that that wasn't possible, and thus far, nothing has happened. Now, there are 11 teams who will compete for this one spot in a playoff. New Zealand, Solomon Islands, New Caledonia, Tahiti, Fiji, Vanatua, Papua New Guinea, American Samoa, Samoa, Tonga and the Cook Islands. 
you would have to make obviously New Zealand the strong favourites to advance to the playoff and probably face, as things stand, either Japan or Australia. Um, those two are definitely within the five strongest teams in the Asian qualification. And you would guess that they will be the team that comes through. They should One of them should beat either the United Arab Emirates or Iraq in the playoff to come out of Asia um, and face whichever team it may be. The last one then to have a quick look at is North America, the Caribbean and Central America. So eight teams. As things stand, they've played eight games. Canada are top. The United States are second. Mexico are third. Panama fourth. Costa Rica, Jamaica, Costa Rica. Costa Rica, Costa Rica. It doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter, of course it matters, because it's, you know. But if you do know, let me know. Is it is it Costa Rica? I think it's Costa Rica. Um, Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras. So they'll get three automatic, and the fourth will go into the playoff. Um, this is after they've brought things down from 35 teams all the way down to this eight. So Canada have looked really good. And this morning I watched their win over Mexico where they just played at a very, very high level and Kyle Lahren scored two goals to put them 2 up. Um, Herrera got a late, late consolation for Mexico that I thought was a little bit undeserved. Um, Jamaica also drew 1-1 with the United States last night. Mikel Antonio, if you haven't seen it, scored an absolute worldie after Timothy Weah had put the US 1-0 up. Costa Rica beat Honduras 2-1 and Panama beat El Salvador 2-1. There are six games left. Canada are top, like I said. They're the only unbeaten team. Four wins, four draws. It would be brilliant to see the likes of Jonathan David, Kyle Lahren, Alfonso Davies at a World Cup. It would be great for the nation of Canada, especially with 2026 on the horizon. The US, you'd imagine, should qualify. Mexico should qualify. So Panama looking very good, though, and you don't want to rule them out. The one I thought would do better is Jamaica. I thought they would find themselves in the playoff mix, and they may still, but they've got seven points to make up on Panama or Mexico to to get into that uh, top four, um, which looks a tall order. It does look a tall order for them. They will play Mexico next, then Panama. If they don't win both of those games, it's going to be really difficult for them to qualify. Um, They've also still got to play Canada away which again will be will be really really tough, but yeah, um, all things considered, World Cup qualifiers still shaping up nicely. I'm very much looking forward to the next World Cup, even though it will be in Qatar, which I'm not in favour of. I do love a World Cup. Now, I will say I've I've, I've found World Cups have been quite poor uh, of late. The last three really didn't didn't do much for me um didn't think the the russian world cup was great some some decent games but 
overall lacking in quality and maybe lacking in a little bit of pomp. Uh, Brazil was great from a spectacle point of view, but the quality of football was largely quite poor. I thought South Africa did a great job at hosting, and I thought all the, you know, all the extra bits were great, but again, the quality of football was was fairly poor and predictable. We kind of knew going in, Spain were going to run the table. Um, 06 was great. 06 was a great World Cup. 02, in retrospect, having rewatched it in the last few years, better than it seemed at the time, because at the time, certainly for people in the UK and Ireland, the games were on a just bad times to watch football. Um, but watching it back, it wasn't, it's not a classic World Cup, but it's better than I thought at the time. 98 was great. 98 was fantastic. 94 was amazing. Uh, the Americans really did put on a tremendous World Cup and the quality of football was very, very high. Nothing will, will top 1990 for me um, because there's just something majestic about all things Italian, when it comes to staging an event, they are second to none. Um, 86 was too early for me, but I have have watched most, if not all of it, and there was some cracking football played. And again, Mexico is a great place to host an event. Uh, 82, the same situation. I was three months old, but um, again, watching, watching games since... Some great football played, great venue for a sporting event, and then before that is before before my life and outside my realm of interest. Really, I, I've watched handfuls of games from different World Cups. Quite hard to find them from you know from say seventy four and before. It's hard to find games. Seventy eight, you'll find most of the tournament. Eighty two, almost all. Eighty six, basically all. Uh, 90 and 94 are quite easy to get. And then after that's, you know, very, very simple. But I do think the last three have been a little bit disappointed and I'm a bit concerned about guitar. But I do have high hopes for 2026. But I just love the idea of the World Cup. I love the idea of the best countries having overcome everything else to get their host nation aside. One thing I will say, the holders should get through automatically. I think this idea that the the holders don't get an automatic spot is absolutely nonsensical. You win the World Cup, you should automatically qualify for the next one. Same with the Euros. If you win the Euros, you should automatically qualify for the next one. I don't understand why they don't. Someone will need to explain that to me. If you win a World Cup, you should automatically qualify for the next one. It's as simple as that. Anyway, we'll move on. And you and 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 you should play in the first game. If you're the defending World Cup winners, you should play the first game of the new World Cup. Kick it off right. Uh, we've gone a little bit longer on World Cup qualification than I had planned. So... With it being a pretty short day today and a pretty quiet day, it's going to take a little break. Come back. We've got some news. We've got some gossip. And we will be done nice and early today. So I'll see you in a couple of minutes.
Right, welcome back. So, uh, the fallout of the Saudi takeover of Newcastle continues. And Gary Hoffman, chairman of the Premier League, is set to resign. It comes just days after the publication uh, publication of a review aimed at strengthening the regulation of English football. So he's come in for a lot of a lot of flack for his handling of things. He's he's been quite a quiet figure working away in the background, not really one for you know public statements, public appearances, whatever. Um but he has taken quite a bit of criticism. And, and I said at the time, there was a stench of the whole thing that was going to be hard to shift. So, obviously, the Saudi takeover of Newcastle went on and on and on for, what, just over a year? And it got tidied up very, very quickly. Now... The official party line was that, you know, some agreements were come to and some guarantees were made about who was and who wasn't involved and nonsense, absolute nonsense. What happened was the Saudis and being sport came to an agreement. And once that agreement was in place, being sport lifted their complaint against Saudi ownership and the deal went through it's as simple as that the Premier League showed that they didn't care about anything other than the bottom line which was their long term partner being sport having their pocket picked by Saudi Arabia and once they were made whole again and I'm sure there was a nice financial uh, compensation package put together once that happened and being sport were happy and, you know, Richard Keyes could get whatever kind of help it is that Richard Keyes needs and more on him in a moment. Um, the, the Premier League were more than happy for Newcastle to take over. Human rights violations and different, different atrocities be damned. Once... The business partners were happy. Everybody was happy. Well, other than the other 19 clubs, of course. But, you know, that's a different story for a different day. And Hoffman has been at the centre of this. Now, again, he's not one for public statements. He hadn't said anything about it himself. But his name was one that would constantly be brought up. There were criticism. Uh, there was criticism of him, rather, from from different people. Um I don't know who is likely to replace him. I'm sure he will go back into the private sector and do very well for himself, as he has done in the past. But it will be interesting to see now who replaces him and, and what kind of stance they take on Saudi Arabia, on this ownership. This is too late to do anything about it now. But um, Hoffman is just walking away. Which is is weird. It is weird. It's weird that he's just running away at the first sign of real blowback. Because he took the chairmanship of the Premier League in June 2020. Uh, just in between the first lockdown. 
And then there was Project Big Picture. So that all came out. Then there was the European Super League thing where he imposed fines but backed down of uh, backed down from properly punishing Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, City, United and Tottenham. Like fines don't make any difference to those clubs. Drop in the ocean. An executive at one club said he was a robust figure over the Super League issue, but I've no desire to, set, to, to see him step down. He's been a pragmatic voice in the governance of the Premier League at a time of unprecedented turbulence. Very, very strange that he's just going to move on. Like, Scudamore was was there for, what, 20 years, was he? And this guy lasted 20 months, not even 20 months, and he's out the door. There has to be more to this. There has to be more to this. And I think we we likely will hear that something untoward has gone on at some point. But it's one to keep an eye on. It is one to keep an eye on. The name Gary Hoffman, probably not a name that many people will would even think twice about. Uh, just keep an ear out for his name or keep an eye out for his name been mentioned in any kind of you know newspaper article, radio piece, TV piece, whatever. And see what comes out following um, following his decision to leave. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Danny Alves is back to Barcelona. For those that missed it, he has signed a contract till the end of the season. And bizarrely being given the number eight jersey. Now, I'm curious as to what position Danny Alves is going to play for Barca. Obviously, he was an incredible right back for them for eight years before leaving to join Juventus, where he spent one season before going to Paris Saint-Germain for two seasons, and now Sao Paulo for two seasons. He's had great success um, everywhere he's been. When he was at Sevilla, he won two UEFA Cups and a Copa del Rey. Obviously had incredible success at Barca, six league titles, uh, four Copa del Reyes and three Champions Leagues. At Juventus, he won the double, Serie A and the Copa Italia, in uh, France, he won a treble and another league title. And in Sao Paulo, he won the Sao Paulo Serie the, the Police de Serie A, so the, the top flight division in Sao Paulo, uh, not the National League, to be clear. It's the Regional League. Um, so, yeah, he's had amazing success. He's obviously also won... Two Copa Americas with Brazil. He's won an Olympic gold medal this past summer with Brazil uh, when he was one of the overage players. He's one of the most decorated players in history. And he would probably find his way into an all-time great Barcelona eleven. He returns to the club as the best right-back they've owned since they had him, though he is now more of a midfield player than a right back. So I will just be interested to see where Xavi uses him, if he uses him much at all. He obviously can't play until January, I don't think so. Um he'll be he will help with his experience, with his ability to guide young players. They've got a bunch of good young players there in, in Gavi and Pedri and 
Ansu Fati. And obviously with Lamassia, you always expect more and more talent to come along. There's a couple of good young defenders there, Mingueza and Arejo. And you, you'd hope that in time, Barcelona will be able to build themselves back up to being a successful club without 1.6 billion in debt hanging over their heads. But, you know, that's another story. Whether Joan Laporte, who returned as president last summer, uh, whether he's capable of running the club in a sustainable fashion. He's already added to the debt by consolidating the debt with one loan, which will just increase the uh, interest payments on that figure. They have no real line of credit at the moment. They've got no money to spend. They're going to be scrapping around in the bargain basement for probably for the next... If they've any sense, they'll do it for a couple of years. They'll try and find players on the margins, find you know, find loan opportunities, find players on Bosman free contra- free, uh, free transfers, and try and rebuild that way, get all that debt down using the immense income that the club has from their commercial and marketing uh, situations, from their TV deals and their you know qualification of the Champions League. Get into the Champions League, get into the knockout stages. You don't need to win the title. You don't need to win the Champions League. For the next three to four years, aim to finish third or fourth and get into the knockout stages of the Champions League. That, along with your commercial money and your match day revenue, that should be enough. As long as you're playing good football, that should be enough to keep this club afloat. Bring down the debt. Build a new team. Build through your youth. Find smart opportunities, like I said, with Bosmans and things like that. And then in three to four years, when your financial situation looks like that of a normal football club and not of something that Donald Trump may once have owned, uh, then you can start spending money on players again. Um, so signing Danny Alves is, is clever. I think it's clever. Whether he's any good on the pitch or not, I don't know. I don't know what he will be as a player. But as someone that can bring a wealth of experience, not only in what it is to be a top-class player, but what it is to cope with the pressure of Barcelona, what it is to win every single season, to have that continued drive, that one title, one cup, isn't enough. You know, you hear great, truly great players will often say that when they got their medals, they put them in the box, they didn't look at them till they retired. Roy Keane used to leave his medals in a safety deposit box in a bank and said he would never look at them until he retired and then he'd take time to to reminisce whether he does or not I don't know whether he, he, he has even bothered yet but a lot of players have said that you know the day after you win a title forget about it go and win the next one that's what true greatness is and Danny Alves experienced that everywhere he's been so he will be able to impart all that he has built up over the years all that knowledge he'll be able to impart that onto the great young players at Barcelona um, before we get into the gossip, there's something that I wanted to... First of all, there's two things, actually. First thing, there's an article on the BBC website about the two young Scottish players, Barry Hepburn and Liam Morrison, who are currently at Bayern Munich in the academy ranks. Well worth a read. Give that one a quick read. And it does also mention the likes of um, Aaron Hickey, who's currently with Bologna, and how there's just been a couple of Scottish players have moved abroad. Not all of them have had magnificent success. But, I mean, Liam Henderson's doing quite well for himself in Serie A. He has now been in Serie A for three years. Uh, he is on his fourth team, and it's the second spell at Empoli. 
but he did okay at Barry, did pretty well at Hellas Verona, um, did well at Empoli on loan, did pretty well with Lecce last season, and um, now with Empoli again. So he's he's doing well, making a name for himself. He's gone outside the box, and surely in time he is going to get a call up to the national team. Twenty five no caps. Scotland don't have that many great midfielders. He's one that possibly needs to be looked at. Lawrence Shank- Shankland, currently playing for Bearshot in um, in Belgium, moved over in the summer from Dundee United. Another one that's taken a bit of a gamble, going outside the comfort zone. He'd had you know, a pretty good career thus far in Scotland, Queen's Park, Aberdeen, loans to Dunfermline, St Mirren and Granick Morton. He played for Air United and was tremendous for them for two years. Did well with Dundee. He's gotten an opportunity now. He hasn't had the best start, admittedly, yet to score uh, for Bearshot. But look, goals should come. Goals should come. He had a three-year run where he was pretty prolific. He did struggle a little bit in the Scottish Premiership. But there is a talent to score goals there. And if he can harness that and get opportunities, he should get himself some goals. It's just always nice to see young British players taking the risk, going abroad, going outside the comfort zone. You'd like to see some of the British managers do the same. Like Eddie Howe, for example, I know he's gone to Newcastle now, but I I had been hoping he would be offered a chance to go to Spain or France or Germany or Italy or or Portugal or the Netherlands and, and, you know, go and learn more and expand your horizons. Same thing with, with Steven Gerrard. If this time at Villa goes well, but he does not well enough to get him the Liverpool job or it goes poorly and he ends up getting fired. I'd like to see him take the chance and go go abroad, go outside these shores, see what you can do. Same with Lampard. I'd love to see Frank Lampard take a chance and go to, I don't know, there's some Bundesliga club who are having a bit of a struggle. I'd track Frankfurt, for example, if they continue to struggle. That could be a job for Frank. It might not be. He might do terribly, but I'd, I'd really like to see him go and try. I'd like to see him try his hand. I look, I look at Graham Potter and his route into the Premier League, and it's so unique, but it does just show there's no right or wrong way to get yourself to the the peak level of your of the game, whether you're a player or a, or a manager. There are multiple paths you can take, and you should never let an opportunity pass you by. You should never risk stagnation. Never risk that you're going to get stuck behind somebody else and that might hamper your career for a couple of years. Get yourself moving. Go and play. Go and manage. Take the chances. Don't be someone's assistant for 10 years if you can go and manage by yourself. If you've got ambitions to manage, go and take the manager's job, even if it does mean moving to Sweden or like Hodgson years ago, you know, globe trotting around Europe. There's there's multiple different paths. Same thing with players. You get a chance to go to Bayern Munich. Take it. Take it. Why wouldn't you? If you can go to Bayern Munich and train for two or three years, you absolutely take it. For Aaron Hickey to go to Bologna, big risk. Lots of clubs interested in him. Took the chance. He's developing really well. 
playing as a left wing back, can also play in central midfield, which he might have to do for Scotland. Um, there's, it's exciting times. We've seen a lot of English players head off, you know, to Bundesliga. There's a few in the Eredivisie. Why wouldn't you take those opportunities? You know, Fikayo Tomori, look at him now, thriving for AC Milan. He could have stayed at Chelsea, but now he's thriving for AC Milan. Bigger club. One of the biggest clubs in the world. And he's kicked on massively. I mentioned Gerrard there, and there's something I want to address. So, I've heard a few things said about Gerrard in the last week or so since he's been appointed Villa manager that kind of made me wonder do people actually pay attention really to what's gone on so some of it is around how Gerard speaks and things he said and you know you never put much faith into any of that but one thing I heard was that Villa fans should be excited because Steven Gerrard will put faith in the young players because he's shown at Rangers that he puts faith in young players. So I wanted to have a quick look at that. Last season, Rangers win the title. Their starting goalkeeper is Alan McGregor, who is currently 39 years of age. And the backup goalkeeper is John McLaughlin, currently 34 years of age. So no youth in goal. They played all the league games between them. Now, his five most frequently used uh, used defenders are James Tavanier, Philip Hellander, Conor Golson, Leon Balligan, and Bor- Borna Barisic. So Barisic is 29. Balligan is 33. Golson is 28. And Hellander is 28. Other defenders who played, Calvin Bassey, Jack Simpson, Nathan Patterson, and Leon King. Bassey is 21. He played three times in the league he started and five sub-appearances. Jack Simpson is 24. Uh, four starts. Not a young, these aren't young players though. Uh, well, sorry, Bassey's a young player. Simpson is not. Nathan Patterson, he's a young player. Uh, three starts, four appearances off the bench. And Leon King, 17. He got one sub appearance uh, for eight minutes. So, three young players, none of whom made more than three starts. Uh, midfielders, Yanis Hadji, Ryan Jack, Stephen Davis, Ryan Kent, Bongani Zungu, Joe Aribo, Glenn Kamara, and Scott Airfield. They all played games for uh, Rangers last year. So Hadji is 23, young-ish, not a kid though, not coming out of the academy. Obviously they paid quite a bit of money to get him. Ryan Jack is 29. 16 starts. Uh, Stephen Davies is 36. 29 starts. 
Ryan Kent is 25, 36 starts. Zunga, 29, one start, 13 appearances off the bench. Uh, Aribo, 25, 27 starts. Glenn Kamara, 26, 28 starts. And Scott Arfield, 33, 11 starts. So nobody from the academy, nobody under the age of 22, only one player under the age of 24 at the beginning of last season. That was Hadji, who they paid big money for. Uh, and into attack then, you've got Jermaine Defoe, Cedric Itten, Alfredo Morales, Scott Wright, Greg Stewart, and Kiefer Moore. Now, Defoe is, well, he's 39. Uh, three starts, 12 appearances off the bench. Itan's 24. Uh, five starts, 22 appearances off the bench. He was uh, one of Gerard's signings that flopped. Uh, Alfredo Morales, 25. 26 starts. He's a strange one. He was incredible in Jared's first two years, but last season really fell off. And it might be because Stevie stopped allowing him to get sent off four times a season, but seemed to really curb something in his game. Like his numbers the first two seasons under Jared were unbelievable uh, 30 in, in 48, 29 and 47. Now, he had only scored 12 and 20, in 26 in the league that second season. But last season, he dropped off to 17. Didn't really have the impact in Europe. Been great in Europe in the, in the year before. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Scott Wright, 24. Uh, one start, eight games off the bench. Greg Stewart, 31. Uh, five substitute appearances. Uh, another one of Gerard's signings that didn't quite work out. And then Kiefer Moore, uh, 18 starts, six sub-appearances, and he is, I believe, 28 years of age. So from the entire squad, only Calvin Bassey and Nathan Patterson, you could argue, are young players that Gerard put thrust in. Now, Bassey was signed from Leicester's academy as a senior player. He wasn't signed from the as an academy player. Didn't play for Rangers Academy. Patterson came through the academy. He's he looks a real talent, and he's one that probably will move on. He's been linked to a few Premier League clubs. But my point to this is, I don't really know who these young players that Gerard supposedly put huge faith in. Others who played. George Edmondson, he got one sub-appearance, uh, 24. Um, Brandon Barker, four starts, six sub-appearances, 25. Jordan Jones, two starts, one sub-appearance, 27. Just don't know who these young players that he allegedly put faith in are. I get that it's a nice concept of this manager coming in. Given Villa have a great academy, he's a young manager. You'd hope he'll put faith in young players. He hasn't really done that at Rangers. 
he bought almost his entire starting eleven. Moore, Morales, Haji, Kent, Aribo, Kamara. Stephen Davies was there before, before Gerard, but Gerard brought him back. He'd left and gone to Southampton. Gerard brought him back. Scott Arfield, well, Gerard signed him too. Ryan Jack was there before him. Is Ryan Jack the only real? Is Ryan Jack the only player? No, Tavanier as well. So two of his starting eleven appear to have been there. Oh, and the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper, Alan McGregor. But again, Gerard brought him back. He'd been there a long time before. He'd gone to England. He signed his contract before Gerard, so we'll we'll allow him. Um, but all the rest, Gerard signed them. There's no track record of him a giving youth real chances, or b not needing quite a lot of signings to make things work. Now he's got a better team at Villa, obviously than he did at Inherited Rangers. But for Villa, like they've got such a good academy that surely surely you want a manager who's going to promote youth, who's going to bring forward the likes of the Ramsey brothers, Chuck Wemeka, Louis Barry, players like that. That's got to be top of your priority list when looking for your new manager. And Gerard just doesn't have a track record of it. And it's not like Rangers Academy is not strong. There's a lot of good talent in that Rangers Academy that they've plucked away here, there, and everywhere. So just something to to keep an eye on. You'll hear people say, oh, yeah, he, he's big into youth. He gives youth a chance. There's no, no evidence of that. Nathan Patterson is the only one who was really young, and, and Calvin Bassey, but Bassey was signed as a senior player, wasn't signed as an academy player. Nathan Patterson's the only academy player to make his way into the Rangers team under Steven Gerrard. And he, into the squad, not even into the team. And there was no choice with him. He's he's that good. You had to put him in the team, in, into the squad. Otherwise, he would have left. I think it comes from him having coached Liverpool's under-18s rather than anything to do with reality. But just one to keep an eye for. Let's see what he does with the young players at Villa. I'd love to see him get the Ramsey brothers and Chuck Wemeka involved more this season. Louis Barry's out on loan. But um, Jacob Ramsey's been pretty good so far. Chuck Wemeka, I know a lot of people think that if he'd come through the championship club, he'd have... 30 or 40 starts under his belt already and be getting looked at by by big clubs for a good, good chunk of money. Now, I know that a lot of the top clubs have been linked with him already um, and Villa are trying to tie him down to a new contract, but so far there's been, there's been nothing uh, with his contract. You'd hope that Villa can keep hold of him. You'd hope that he doesn't get his head turned. There's, there's plenty of opportunities 
at Aston Villa for a player like Carney Chukwemeka. Opportunities where he can really make a go of things. Um, I mentioned Richard Keyes early on. And I, I wanted to have a quick look at this. So, Richard Keyes has a website, richardajkeys.com. Do not look up richardkeys.com. Um, it's, it's a different thing altogether. <laughs> richardajkeys.com. Um, a great week for British coaching, but leave the big boy stuff alone, Connor, is the title of his new hard-hitting blog post. Um, it's been a great week for British coaching. How good was it to see three of our brightest taking jobs in the PL? Welcome back, Stephen. Although I wish you'd taken a bit more care about the manner in which you accepted the Villa job. I said this on Twitter last week and I stand by it. Full stop. There should not be a full stop there, but there is. Leaving Rangers like a thief in the night was poor. Everybody at Ibrox deserved better, not least the players who knew little or nothing about your intentions until they saw pictures of you holding up a Villa shirt. And yes, you looked happy. The daft questions came later this time. Why leave like that? Why skulk off after being given your big break by Rangers? You later issued a statement that said, in time, I hope people understand. Well, they won't. If, you, if you'd done things the right way, I'm sure they might have done. I don't see Gerard taking the Villa job as a gamble for him. It's Villa who've taken the gamble. Just because Stephen played for England and Liverpool doesn't make him a cast-iron certainty to make a success for it. So yeah, I actually agree with this point. There's some garbage before it, but this point is good. This is dreadfully written, though. Uh, Frank Lampard played for Chelsea in England, but he came up short on returning to the bridge. I'm not suggesting Lampard won't yet make a very good coach, but the jury is out. It's the same with Gerard. He's taken on a massive club and he's totally unproven in England. See, this this is factual. But the stuff about leaving like a thief in the night is nonsense. He didn't leave like a thief in the night at all. There was three days of build-up to him leaving. Everybody knew he was leaving. So the idea that the players didn't know is, is tripe. Um, this is good. What a whirlwind week for his predecessor at Villa. Out of one door and in through another, almost without breaking step. I'm delighted for Dean Smith. He's a good man. He got shafted by Villa and deserved better. So he lost five on the bounce. Full stop. Again, there should be no full stop there. Thomas Frank has lost four in a row. So if he gets beaten by Newcastle on Eddie Howe's debut, does that mean he'll be out of work on Monday morning? If you follow Villa's logic, it does. Right. No, it doesn't because Norwich got promoted or Brentford rather got promoted last season. Villa were really poor in the second half of last season. This is not just five in a row. It's seven out of 11. And it's a really bad run to end last season. That's why Dean Smith got sacked. Nothing to do with just losing five in a row. Norwich have finally woken up from their long sleep. I still think it's too late for them to avoid the drop, but it seems they want to have a go. I'm glad I had a go at them a fortnight ago, specifically Stuart Webster and Delia. I'm not suggesting I'm the reason they fired Daniel Fark. He spelled Daniel 
wrong, by the way. But it's isn't it funny how the sporting director and owners have a panic up when they find themselves under pressure? If this deluded buffoon thinks that Stuart Webber wastes even one nanosecond of his day thinking about what Richard Keyes is saying on Twitter or on Being Sport or in his little blog, I don't know what to tell him. I really don't know what to tell him. Um, he goes on then to have a, a fawning about um, Eddie Howe, and that's fine. And then he says that Connor Cody should keep quiet uh, about Qatar, that you know he should highlight the abuses in Saudi Arabia, and you know if, if Newcastle come calling, will he turn them down? And then he has a bit of a weird poppet. Uh, Marcus Rashford uh, saying what he did to tackle to tackle child hunger was wonderful, but leave it there, Marcus. So let the kids go hungry, Marcus. Just get back to playing football. It's tripe, absolute tripe. Richard Keyes is just a very weird man. A very, very weird man. So somebody replied to him, asking him to explain certain things. He's made a mess of either quote tweeting them or replying. And he says, oh dear, full stop. Let me try and explain, Ollie, full stop. Howe is now the face of the Saudi regime at Newcastle. Rashford has done great work, but he needs to get back to his day job. That can't be confusing, even for you, surely. If I was Richard Keyes, I wouldn't be trying to speak down to anybody. I really wouldn't. I'd, I'd, I'd probably go and cry if I was Richard Keyes. That's in all likelihood what I would do. Uh, we'll finish up with the gossip and we're done for today. Real Madrid will not try and sign Kylian Mbappe in January. Um, will instead target him in the summer. Philippe Coutinho will snub Newcastle in January as he's no intention of leaving Barcelona. He wants to get his money. Wolves are ready to sell Adama Traore as talks continue over a new deal. Um... Barcelona could rival Liverpool. Liverpool have no interest and Barca have no money. So it's nonsense. At 90minute.com, so of course it's nonsense. Look at the clowns they have involved them. Uh, former Chelsea boss Frank Lampard is determined to return to the Premier League and is keeping an eye on Norwich in case... Brenton... Sorry, on Leicester. Sorry, keeping an eye on Leicester. So it comes from Eurosport. So again, you... you could be it could be tripe it really could be tripe but the idea that Leicester would give Lampard the job um is just staggering Wayne Rooney is set to remain in charge of Derby despite a further nine point deduction for the Rams yeah they've they've picked up 18 points this season and they're still negative three in the table um 21 points taken off them they are in all likelihood going down this season and that is very, very tough to take, obviously, for the fans. I have huge sympathy for the fans. I have very little sympathy for the club itself, for the owners, because of how stupidly they've run that club over recent years. 
Real Madrid could move for Donny van de Beek in January. No, they won't. Uh, Barcelona are set to offer Red Bull Salzburg €40 million Euro for Kareem Adeyemi. No, they're not. Absolutely no, they're not. This is an attempt by a specific journalist. Dortmund allegedly are the favourites to get him now, despite the fact that they've only recently been mentioned in relation to him. But they have no money to spend until next summer. And this is an attempt to throw Barca's name in so that when he doesn't go to Barca and could potentially end up at Dortmund, they can say, well, Dortmund got him from under Barca's nose. Burnley are willing to let James Tarkovsky's contract expire rather than cashing in on him in January. I doubt it. I doubt it. That would be very un-Burnley-esque. He could be a really good sign, signing for West Ham. He'd be a great signing for Newcastle. But for West Ham, who've lost Ogbonna, he could be a really good signing. Everton could make a five million move for Callum Chambers. Why would they do that? I don't know why anyone would do that. Uh, Josie Mourinho is considering a move to sign Diogo a lot. That, that's every day. They just throw that into make-up space. Chelsea could try and sign Orlen Chimeni in January. Again, this is one that's every day. Chelsea refused to include an option to buy in Moose or Conor Gallagher in the summer. Did they? Or did they want a really high option? New Norwich manager Dean Smith is plotting a reunion with Conor Hurran in January. That could make sense. Uh, Manchester United have told Dean Henderson to allow him to go on loan until 2023. Again, 19minute.com, probably tripe. Leeds are considering a move for Middlesbrough's 22-year-old midfielder, Marcus Tavanier. Good player. Uh, Dutch midfielder Xavi Simmons, Simmons will consider leaving PSG when his contract expires. Every club in Europe will be after him. Every club in Europe will be after him. Very, very talented young midfielder. Juventus plan to meet Matthias Delic's agents to discuss his future. He wants a new contract is what's going on. Um, his agent is looking for a new contract. This is year three, and Mino, as always, wants a new contract for his player in year three. Belgian midfielder Axel Witzel could leave Dortmund in January. Yeah, maybe he's out of contract soon enough. And Nottingham Forest are lining up a move for Hart centre-back John Souther and hope to beat Rangers to his signing in January. Um Fair play, fair play. If I was him, I would move to Nottingham Forest. I think that's the better move there. And that's it. That is us for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Send your questions in on Discord or on Twitter to at Guy Drinkle. Make sure you address him as Gus, and I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.